is that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and they will abandon the faith. Now today, don't worry. I just want to put that there. Because it is Labor Weekend, and a lot of people are away. And that's good. And we want to pray for them. And it's good to take a break. But it's related to the message I'm going to share with you today. Very important. We need to remember we are foreigners passing through this life on a very short notice. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here because you faithful souls and God bless all the families. Father, I really pray from the bottom of my heart that you would refresh and restore all those many families that are away today. But most important today, right here, right now, I pray that you would speak to us deeply and that you would stir our souls by your Holy Spirit. Father, you clearly say where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. And today we welcome you here. It has been a joy to focus on you. Father, as we sung, as we sung of the creation, and we always know, Father, that the, uh, the cause is always greater than the effect. We look at this beautiful day, and we look at this amazing universe, and this is the effect, that you are the cause. You are so much bigger than all of us. Today, open our eyes, open our minds to let us catch a fresh glimpse of you and what you want for our lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Folks, in this church we encourage people to take out their outlines and to write along. Write along. Which is really, it's part of our discipleship. Today I want to finish up part three of what every Christian needs to grow. And those of you today, some of you are Christians, some of you are trying to decide whether you want to be a Christian, and some of those of you are saying, well, I'm just here checking things. But this today, I want you to open your, if you're a Christian, open your Bible. If you haven't, don't worry, I've got some notes. See this guy here? The Bible actually says the righteous are as bold as a lion. They're not intimidated by the things of this world. And that's imagery on purpose. Today I want to talk about something very important. And that is the courage to stand up for what you believe. Standing up for the truth. There's one I talk about. Now, a lot of Christians have a hard time speaking about Jesus in public. And this is not a new problem, friends. 2,000 years ago, the Bible says, first verse on your outline, John 17, 13, excuse me, 7, 13, no one had the courage to speak up favorably for Jesus in public. That's a perennial problem. People talked about him lots in private, you know, where you can't get sprung, where you wouldn't cause an offense. But in public, people were afraid to speak about Jesus favorably. Now, is that true of you? This week I met a man who'd just flown in from China. And he said, what do you do? It always comes up. And I knew he was in IT, so I got some common ground first. He said, well, actually, I spent my first half of my life in IT. But now I'm a pastor. He goes, what's one of those? <laughs> I go, well, I, I help lead a Christian church, and it's founded around Jesus. And he goes, oh, I hear of him. Tell me. What do you believe? Uh, and so we had a great discussion about Jesus. Be careful today. Some people will talk about God till they're blue in the face. 
What you and I need to do is be more Christ-centric in our discussions. Because that's what differentiates us from anybody else. Christ. He is God. So when they talk about God, they can be using the same term, but that term can be stuffed with a completely different meaning. And the way to clear things up real quickly, if you're talking and you're not feeling sure that that person's talking about the same God, is you say, does that God look like Jesus Christ? If he does, he's the same God. If he's not, he's a different Small g, God. That's the way to separate the wheat from the chaff. Anyway, let's get to this. No one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public. Is that true of you? Do you have the courage to speak favorably about Jesus at work? Now, I'm not talking some weird deal. I'm talking about when it comes up. But here's a funny thing. I got up yesterday morning and said, God, give me somebody to speak to about you. Highly unlikely on Saturday, but guess what? He answered my prayer. In fact, twice this week, Jesus, I've been able to share with somebody I've never even met before. This week. But are you even asking to share about Jesus? Or have you forgotten that? Has it grown dim? Even the great apostle Paul needed encouragement to speak. And keep on speaking up. Here it is, Acts, second verse. Acts 18, verse 9. One night... One night, there was a point in time, maybe that's right here this morning, one morning, if you'd allow me that liberty, the Lord spoke to you and said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Maybe that's what the Spirit of God is saying to you directly today. If there ever was a message that you need to hear, God would say this to you about your faith today. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking up and don't be silent. Great verse. Everybody else is speaking up at your work about what they believe in. They're all telling you. They're telling you. They're going to tell you what they believe in. You know, shacking up with this new hot thing I've just found. Oh, they tell you. You just listen. They'll tell you what they believe in. What's wrong with that? I think it's good. They're promoting what they view and think is good. Or you just listen around the office what they tell you. But they will tell you their worldview. Now why is it important for Christians to stand up for the truth? Third verse on your outline. Matthew 10.32 says this. Jesus, this is why this is critical. Jesus says this. If you stand up for me publicly against world opinion. And boy, you find lots of that in the office or at university or at school, then I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. That's why some, Now that settles it right there, why we should do that. In the hairdressing salon. Plenty of opinions there. Boy. And it's very easy to just go ho-hum and just sort of not be wanting to offend people or stand up against something that you know they think they think. Now, what if I don't stand up as an ambassador of Christ, representing his values, his kingdom, his what's precious to him? What if I don't do that at work tomorrow? Excuse me, Tuesday. We've got the day off tomorrow. Hallelujah. <laughs> but let's wind the clock forward to school, Elizabeth. What happens if I don't stand up? When somebody nails me on something, what does it say? Next verse. Jesus says it. This is his words. But whoever disowns me 
You know, there was a time when Howick on Thursday night used to be very busy, and Grant and I used to walk up and down the street. But sometimes we had to go with our parents. And sometimes my mother used to walk extremely fast. Believe it or not, I had a hard time keeping up with her. And I noticed, I actually didn't mind keeping up with her, but I noticed that some teenagers walked a little away from their parents because they were almost disowning them. Do you know what I'm saying? At work, do you walk a little behind Jesus? I'm not sure I want to be associated with him. Jesus. Whoever disowns me, denies me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Friends, do you realize how important this is not to be cowardly? About your faith and especially about Jesus. Now, to stand up courageously for truth on what you believe, you need to know the difference between what God thinks. Who gives a hoot about what I think? I don't. What I get my thoughts, or try to, from what he thinks. We need to know what God thinks. And we also, on the other hand, need to contrast to how the politically correct world thinks. And we're talking about a worldview. What is a worldview? Everybody has a worldview. It's the beliefs that you build your life on. Christianity is a worldview. And in September of 2009, I did an entire series called Reframing Your Worldview. Resetting it, recalibrating it. Not to what the world thinks, but to what God's Word says. And the worldview is the lens in which you see everything. It's the way you see God. Because if you see God, see, A.W. Tozer, classic author, in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you. Now think about that for a minute. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. Because if you kind of like lower God to here, well, but if he's up here, and what he says has got huge implications for eternity. It is extremely, it'll color everything you do. Everything. Your worldview is the way you see yourself. It's the way you see others. It's the way you see death. It informs what you think about death, about your past. Forgiven. Your present. Huh? Purpose for living. Future. Home in heaven. It informs what you think about sex. Your worldview informs you about how you make decisions about money. It's about good and evil. Everybody has a worldview. And this is why we have all sorts of arguments. Because people see, through, see things through different filters. They can be looking at exactly the same object. Who knows? That one there. But through different filters, it can look different. That's why Instagram, when it first came out, you can have one photo with a whole bunch of filters. And depending upon which filter, it almost looks like a different picture. And applies a different filter and things look differently. Five people can look at the same thing, same event, but see things differently, different worldviews. So every time you make a decision and your children and your grandchildren make decisions, you especially, you access your worldview database and you decide, that's how you decide how you're going to act. For instance, if you 
believed and you had credible evidence to think that next month was the end of everything. Putin, as you know, is building atomic shelters, telling all his people in Russia to build atomic shelters right now for an impending war. That's what he's saying. Check it out, BBC. But if you knew that there was really going to be the end of things in one month, for whatever reason, let's just say it was true. I'm not saying it is. Please, I am not saying it is. But just suppose there was sufficient credible evidence to think this is it. We're toast. Could I suggest to you it would change the way you made decisions? Your worldview influences all of your choices because this is how you think. Because I believe this to be true, therefore I will do this. That's how it works. Now here's the problem. Every day, you and I are affected profoundly by the worldview of others without even being aware of it. By the worldview of your friends. By the worldview of your work colleagues. By the worldview of the people that you meet. TV and movies, even Facebook can start to shape your worldview. And most of our worldviews are unconscious sometimes and unclarified because you haven't really thought about it much. And the problem is many Christians have an actually non-Christian worldview. And they unconsciously got it from the world, not the Word of God. Now listen carefully to your pastor who loves you. You may be a believer. You may be headed for heaven. But if you don't base your decisions based on the, the Bible, you're going to have a lot of unnecessary problems in your life if you accept the worldview of this world. Life won't make sense because you'll be using the wrong operating system. And therefore you'll start to run the wrong apps. And you lose rewards that God says money is God. Hedonism says pleasure is God. And the number one goal in life for the hedonist is to be comfortable. To have fun. To be happy. <laughs> Thrills. Party, party. You know, live for the weekend. You can be a hedonist and not even know it. You can even be a Christian. In name and be a hedonist. If your number one goal in life is to make your life just more poofy and comfortable, and your number one goal is retirement, ah, a comfortable retirement, friends, can I suggest to you, God did not put you on earth just to do nothing. Nothing wrong with retirement, but it's just not the goal of life. And by the way, in this church, we don't like to use the word retirement a lot. We like to use the word repurposing. The Bible says this, Proverbs 21, 17. You're addicted to thrills. What an empty life. Endless overseas trips, endless holidays, endless cruises. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Why? Because when you're a hedonist, like the materialist, it's just never enough. Just a little bit more. Just one more. Just one more. Friends, the Bible says you were created for far more than pleasure and just happiness. Galatians 6.8 is quite stunning. Those who live only to satisfy their own spirit, sinful desires, that's hedonism, will harvest the consequences of decay and death. Whoa! But 
contrast, those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So each sower decides what his harvest will be in life. Think about that. You get to decide. If a person sows to please his sinful nature, that is if he spends his money to indulge in the flesh, he will reap the harvest that will fade into oblivion. And again, the Bible has encourages. I've used this verse the last few weeks. In um, Exodus 23, 2. Do not follow the crowd, the culture, in doing wrong. The third anti-Christian worldview is individualism. What I want comes first. It's all about me. In materialism, money is God. In hedonism, pleasure is God. And in individualism, I am God, small g. By the way, can I be real clear about that? There's a bizarre thinking out there today that says, you know, well, you want to become like God, you know, you eventually become like God. You'll never become God. You'll become godly. Godly, that's what he wants you to be. Have you ever noticed, for example, you know, individualism says, I'm God, it's a me first sort of like mentality. It is self-centered lifestyle. And I've, I was just thinking about that the other day. I was thinking about my, you know, there's the iPad and the iPhone and the YouTube and it's all egocentric. But here's the issue. God did not create you. That's the world's view. God said, no, no, wrong program, mate. I created you not to live for yourself. Do you think that the creator of the universe thought you up so you could live a selfish, centered, egotistical life that's all about me? Not at all. I don't think so. He made you for something far bigger. So when you read the Bible and you listen to Jesus, realize it is not about you. It is very countercultural. The worldview of individualism is this. What I want, I get. No, I'm, I'm going to put it first over everything else. Over the kingdom principles and priorities. And the Bible says, and the Christian worldview says here in Proverbs 18.1, it is selfish and stupid. It's pretty blunt, the Bible. Just to think only of yourself. See, God sent Jesus not just to save us, but to give us a model of how to live. Jesus taught us that God designed us to love, and love is not thinking about yourself. Love is not selfish. Love is giving yourself away. Countercultural. Ooh, people, see, people are being hoodwinked by the devil who says, oh, there's never going to be enough. So they've got a scarcity mentality. So they hang on to everything for themselves. But the Bible says... Philippians 2, each of you should not look only to your interests. You need to take care of yourself. I understand that. See, look, think about the big Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm not saying there's no about not looking after yourself, but there's more than you. Is This is the scripture. So each of you should not look only to your own interests. That's countercultural, but also to the interests of others. Most people aren't doing that today. There's something missing in our discipleship. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must put aside your selfish ambition and deny yourself. Really? That doesn't sound too cool. Well, it's certainly not cultural. Matthew 16, 24. I haven't put it on your outline, but you may want to write it outside. Look at it now afterwards. If anyone... Anybody here? Do I have any takers? Does anybody... Want to come after me, Jesus Christ? Well, what must he do? He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Paul, he says, clothe yourself with Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. They'll distract you from kingdom priorities. Over and over, God warns me in the Bible about living a self-centered life. Romans 2.8, for those who are self-seeking. See, all about me. Seeking what's best for me. And who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. In other words, this is what this looks like. Well, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but I don't like that part. I don't like what it says. Uh, But I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to be self-seeking and I'm going to reject the truth and pursue what I want. The fourth worldview, it's the exact opposite of individualism, actually, and it's socialism. God, and that says that government should control everything. Now, that's an anti-Christian worldview that says the government is God. Socialism basically says that the government should control everything. Now, the government is a good thing. In fact, it was instituted by God. Actually, God instituted three institutions, created them, family, church, and government. But I've found people who don't know God make the government God and they look to the government to meet all of their needs. That is a big mistake. By the way, what's the purpose of the government? Just a quick sidebar. The Bible talks about protecting freedoms, ensuring justice, and preserving peace. Now Jesus explained the limited role of government and he said the role of government is good but it's not to play the role of God. Here you see government and God in the same sentence. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Two separate things. So whilst you're on earth, remember that your real loyalty, and this will come probably in our lifetimes, Your real loyalty is always to God first and his kingdom. Because the time will come when you and I will be challenged on that. And you may be visiting, or we may be visiting each other in jail because we do that. While you're on earth, remember that you you have a temporary visitor's permit. Just temporary. Remember Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. There are many examples of when you must choose to serve God before the government. Good illustration is the Jerusalem City Council. We have the Auckland City Council, and now we've got the Jerusalem City Council. And they were trying to stop the spread of the gospel. They were forbidden to use the name of Jesus. In Acts 5 it says this, We gave you strict orders not to teach this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Peter and the other apostles replied, this, is, this should be our answer. We must obey God rather than you, Jacobs. You men. We need to obey God. So if we summarize the damage that these four, four flawed worldviews cause, It causes a crumbling of our culture, challenges in our schools, controversies and the judgments in our courts, corruption in businesses, compromise in government on moral issues, 
carnality in our churches, confusion in our families, and conflicts in our personal lives. Now, all of these are caused by disobeying God and flawed worldviews. Basically doing this, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And what they do is they call what God said wrong and what they say right. They swap the whole thing around. You may want to notice this too. I always hurt myself when I ignore what God says to do. So, having looked at the four flawed ones, four out of hundreds, I want to finish up with what is a biblical view. And the answer you will find is all in the scriptures. Now, there's a lot in the scriptures. I'm glad we've got eternity. (laughs) But today, when we're talking about truth, I just want to mention three now unpopular truths about God's worldview that you are dealing with in your lives. Because this is where you're going to need the courage to speak up most. Now, there are many aspects of a biblical worldview that everybody at your work and at uni and school are going to agree with, in the most part. Most part, people say you should probably tell the truth. I mean, some people think you should lie sometimes, but that's okay until you lie about them. Then they're upset, so it's inconsistent, right? But generally speaking, give me a break here. Most people think you should tell the truth, right? Most people think you should treat everybody with respect. There are some who don't give a... <laughs> some, most people think it's right to defend the defenseless. That's good. Yeah. And most people at your work think it's, yeah, it's okay to help the poor. There's not much controversy with that part, which is good. But there are three aspects of the Christian worldview that are hated by most of your colleagues. At work and at school and your neighbours. Hated by this world. And most Christians, when these three subjects come up, clam up because they're afraid to stand up in the areas that are controversial. This is what we, you may have heard of this word, this is called syncretism, where people pick and choose what they want to stand, you know, believe and stand up for. They're selective about it. I like this part, but I don't like what this is there. I'm going to believe, I love to believe that Jesus died for my sins, that my past is forgiven, he's got a purpose for me for living, and I've got a home. I like the sound of that. Yeah. I don't really want to believe that part. Friends, truth is always true. Whether it's a thousand years ago, whether it's today, or whether it's a million years in the future, it's true. Opinions, on the other hand, change all the time. So where do you need the courage to speak up and stand for truth today? And I want to mention three, the most hated truths. And these areas, by the way, they're hated by the world, but they're saint yeah, they're sanctified. They are, they are the areas of sanctity for God. That means something sacrosanct. Don't touch it. My mother would say, that's sacrosanct. Don't touch that. I'll be in trouble if I touched it, right? Here they are. The first one this is the sanctity of life. God says, I have a purpose for every unborn child. Because God planned you before you were born. Before your parents were born. In fact, the Bible tells us that before he created the universe, he thought of you. That is a biblical worldview. Now, there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. Your parents may not have planned you, but God wasn't caught by surprise. He planned you. 
The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 13, You, Lord, you, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. In other words, this is not an accident. You are not an accident. God designed you the way you are. And you knit me together. You watch those people, it's quite the art, knitting it all together in my mother's womb. In other words, God is taking responsibility for your conception and your development. That's how much he loves you. Care is taken. Your workmanship is marvelous. Boy, oh boy, is it ever. You watched me as I was being formed in the utter seclusion in the dark of the womb. God says, I was watching every second of your development from the point of conception on. You saw me before I was born. In other words, you wouldn't even exist if God didn't want you alive. And I watched you every moment. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That is biblical thinking, a biblical worldview. Friends, you are not just a bunch of atoms, a clump of cells. It's a person. It's you. Now, the Bible tells us, you and me, to speak up for those who are defenseless and who can't speak up. Now, one of the types of people who are defenseless are, are the unborn children. Now, this may shock you, but I checked this this week myself in intimate detail to make sure because I like my facts to be bulletproof. Here's one. Since May 1974, which is when the first abortion clinic in Epson opened, till December of last year, 512,000 Kiwis have not been born and would have been here today if they hadn't been aborted. Five. 112,000 Kiwis. Now, if you're a Christian, you will value the sanctity of life if for no other reason is God does. And that's what Jesus taught. And you will believe that every life is precious and sacred. Now, it is not popular opinion, but it is the truth. And it never changes. God says we just speak up for the sanctity of life. And every life is valuable for the moment God planned it, which was before you were born. If you want to learn more about that, talk to Kimberly. She just spent some time at a Voice for Life conference in Hamilton. How you can get involved in that. And the next is even more controversial than that. Which God says this is fact, truth. Never changes. And this is this. It's the sanctity of sex. And part of the Christian worldview is this. Sex is only for marriage. And you may say, well, I don't like that one. You may not. But it's in the owner's manual. Remember, sex was God's idea. God planned sex to bond husband and wife. Actually, in the act of marriage, something a hormone called oxytocin is released in the brain. It is a bonding agent forms a very strong bond. It's exactly the same hormone that is generated in the female brain when she breastfeeds. It bonds baby to mother. Exactly the same hormone, oxytocin. That's why there is no such thing, lie, as casual sex. 
Because people get hurt very deeply when they're cheated on. And it's not just physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. It's a point. Sex is holy, it is sanctified, it is set apart for marriage. And the sanctity of sex is that God designed it for the creation of you and I to bring husbands and wives together and to be a model of the union between Christ and the church. That's why be very careful about ever listening to silly, silly, silly sentences that say, oh, I like Christ, but I don't like the church. Are you insane? You said to me, I like you, but I don't like your wife. You got a fight coming. Never denigrate the church in spite of her spots and blemishes. She is the bride of Christ who Christ died for and willingly gave his life for her. And she will endure far longer than IBM, Xerox, Microsoft, Roche, or even the United States of America. She will endure to the end. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. So, I want to be clear about this. The Bible says in Hebrews 13:4, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. Now, this is not popular in today's culture. But I want to be clear. God's instructions have never, ever, ever changed. So, here's crystal clear clarity. As best as I can get this. Premarital sex is was and always is will be unacceptable to God living together without being married is unacceptable to God always has always will be adultery is always unacceptable to God oh but he wants me to be happy no he wants you to be holy Pornography has always been, always will be unacceptable to God. Same-sex sex always has been, always will be and unacceptable to God. Bestiality, incest. Do I want to continue? You get the picture? Truth is always true. God's truth is. Now, point. You can't control all of your attractions but you can control all of your actions. If you're guilty of any of these things, that's okay. New Hope is a place to you because everyone of us here today, me included, are all forgiven sinners and you can find forgiveness here. We're talking about the sanctity of life. We're talking about the sanctity of sex. And this last one is very controversial right now. It's the sanctity of marriage. Now the Bible is very clear. One man, one woman for life. And that is the intended design that God made it. So let's not monkey with the designer's uh, plan. Otherwise we're saying, well, we know better than you, God. God even made the body parts to fit together. And they have a purpose in fitting together. Sidebar. Somebody says, ah, what about this polygamy deal in the Bible? You may have been sideswiped by that, somebody. Listen carefully. Not everything that is reported in the Bible is approved or affirmed by the Bible. Let me say it again. Not everything that is reported in the Bible is not necessarily approved or affirmed in the Bible. 
Just because you read something in the Bible, maybe it's violence or some sexual deviation, it doesn't mean that the Bible approves it. It's just reporting on the brokenness of humanity. That's what it's doing. Now notice this next verse. Jesus is speaking, Matthew 19. From the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. This is the reason a man is to leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So on the sanctity of life, on the sanctity of sex, and on the sanctity of marriage, these are clear and non-negotiable. So if you claim to be a Christian, your thinking needs to line up with God's worldview on all of these three issues. And you need the courage to stand up for it. So who says that? God does. Not me. God. So let's sum up. How can I live with courage to stand up for the truth? Two things. Number one, for you to really want to do this, to implement this, to be a doer of God's word, you have to accept God's word as your authority. Why? Because it is the only source in your entire life that will never lie to you. It's always true. If your foundation is eternal truth, you'll find something happens too. You get courage and you get conviction from it because you're on solid ground that doesn't shake and move all around the place and change with popular opinion. Hebrews 6.18 says this, God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable. And the reason why they're unchangeable is we don't make, God never makes mistakes because it's impossible for God to lie. That's why we need to hear and remind ourselves what he says about the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, and the sanctity of sex. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage. And with that courage, we need to speak. For we can hold on to his promise with confidence. Now, where do I get that courage? By building my life on truth that doesn't change is the first thing. You can be sure you're right. Because the Bible, God's always right. Second, so that's the thing. So, and by the way, you'll either build your life. You've got a choice to either build your life literally on the word of God, the one that says, which never changes, or the world, which is flipping around all the time. Now, one of the best ways to systematically learn what God says is to join a small group. Some of our groups have studied the foundations, the basic foundations, the 14 essential doctrines of the Christian faith. If you haven't done that, can I highly encourage you to sign up for that now for the new year. So, and the second way to get courage is to spend personal time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, you're going to be intimidated by the opinions of others because he emboldens you. His spirit emboldens you. The, yeah. Acts 4.13 When they saw the courage of Peter and John and could see that they'd been unschooled ordinary men but they were astonished and took note because these men had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, not rushing in, rushing out, it emboldens you, it encourages you, and gives you courage that you can pass on. 
the more time you spend with Jesus, the more courage and strength you'll have to face this world. And the stronger you'll be. Acts 4.31. After they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke God's word without fear. Awesome. Amplified version says they spoke the word of God with freedom, boldness, and courage. Now, friends, standing courageously for the truth is not easy at work, with your mates, maybe at the rugby club or the golf club or the squash club, wherever it is. But you will be rewarded for all of eternity for doing the right thing. Last verse, Hebrews 10.35. Do not lose your courage because it brings with it a great reward. The Father. Thank you for this church family. These people that you love and I love. Father, my desire is that I want them to be uncommonly courageous. I want them to be people of your word. Not of this world, but people who live their lives on your truth, not on popular opinion, which is so fickle. Why don't you, in your mind, just pray this? If this is where your heart is, say, God, I want to be a person of courage who speaks up for your truth. I don't want to back down. I certainly don't want to deny you, ever. I don't want other people to control what I say or think. But I do want to build my life on, a v on your words that's honouring to you, on your truth. So today I want to make two commitments. First, I want to say to you, I accept your word as my final authority. You say it, I believe it, that settles it, whether I fully understand it or not. Because you are God and I'm not. So God, you are going to be my number one authority. And I'm going to see that in your word. Second, Lord, I want to spend time with you every day. I want to get to know you more, Lord. I am actually dissatisfied with the amount of time I'm spending with you. And Lord, my relationship, I want it to improve. I want it to be better. Father, I want to get to know you more on a personal basis. I want to be able to walk into a shop or a business and to be so aware of you, so full of joy and confidence because I've spent time with you, that my life is a witness. May people sense something special because I've been with you, just as they did with the disciples. I want people to notice my countenance and my outlook in my face and in my life. I want them to notice the being with you, Jesus, so that they may be drawn to you by your Holy Spirit. Help me live fearlessly for your truth, I pray, in the powerful and awesome name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.